Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. All right, thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Camp Herman. My name is Chris Price. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Tori Peterson. And tonight we have Dr. Joy Pugh, who is an alumnus of South Georgia College, and she has her doctorate in education, and her background involve, involves working as a researcher, counselor, and mental retardation professional She's a human services director and consultant. And Dr. Joy has actually appeared in several television documentaries on the History Channel concerning end times. So we're going to have a lot of really interesting things to talk with Dr. Joy about uh, this evening. Hello, Tori. Hi, Dr. Joy. Hi. Hello, hello. So, Dr. Joy, we kind of we kind of like our guests to to go wherever they want to go. And I like to give them the floor and let them talk. But before, before I just give you the floor, I was, I, I do want to ask you one question and that is, have you seen the new documentary died suddenly? And if so, I'm curious about your, your take on it. Oh, yeah. I have seen that documentary and uh, very much have been researching all that has gone on uh, regarding uh, the plague, uh, the gain of function, and the fix for it. And um, this is not anything new to my research. In fact, I kind of foretold what was going to happen with all of this years ago when I first started writing uh, back in 1999 about plagues and pestilences and how they would be used against us in such a way that we would actually be watching people die all around us and not be able to stop it. And clearly, when you do not allow professional people to come to the table and question science, there is a major problem with that because all of our lives uh, up until this point, if someone had something that they found out to be completely a problem, it was not a situation where uh, any medical person or any person that would be involved with, let's just say, psychology or any field that you would be able to question a theory or question a science. Because clearly over the years, I've seen things change because we advanced in technology and and our sciences became stronger in certain areas. So the fact that no one was allowed to go against the um, uh, the mainstream and if they did, they were silenced, their license were revoked, um, their professional careers were ended. And that was a real concern for me because, you know, these are red, red flags that I've been waiting on for a long, long time doing the end times research. Because the moment that you cannot tell the truth, 
and the truth is kept from people and you are involved in such surveillance to keep you from telling the truth, then it really does meet uh, scripture where it says, uh, you know, that you will not be able to tell the truth from the lie. That there will come a time where there will be great knowledge, but people will want to hear the lie over the truth. And clearly we are in fake news and have been for quite some time. Um, one of the things that I noted years ago when I went to be even on the History Channel, that they had a certain way that they wanted you to tell information. And so they ask you a lot of questions. And, you know, a lot of things ended up on the, the, the green room floor because it didn't go along with the direction of what that particular um, event was going to be pushed toward. And that concerned me a little bit. But of course, you know, I, I felt like that the information that I did share was very pertinent and it would be something that would be able to be viewed years in advance uh, because of my research. And sure enough, I think uh, the other day I got a, a text from a, a lady that is a very good friend of mine on Facebook that lives out in the Midwest. And so that uh, series that I did a couple of years ago is actually uh, running right now on Hulu. So, you know, the fact that um, it, it's still for today, my work is that way. I mean, the books that I wrote way, way back in 1999 are still very pertinent today. The information is very, very straightforward. But the thing that I noted all these years is how the change up is going to be that there's going to be a group of people who want you to believe something. And for us to go in a certain direction, they've got it set up to make sure that you will go in that direction. The other thing that was a concern for me was that with the plagues and the pestilences that were getting to be more prevalent, I had been researching those for a long time and began to see the need for gain of function that they were getting in, involved in that for uh, processes of really killing pe people, humanity, and not so much about taking care of us as much as figuring out how to use a neurotoxin to kill us that, you know, just a, a little plankon was developing out in our oceans and in our estuaries that I wrote about back in 1999 and 2000 that was out there and uh, they were very aware of it. They weren't stopping anybody from going and eating the fish, but they were using that information that they were gaining from that little, uh, which was actually a, a dinoflagellate. And, um, and what was happening is they were out there trying to figure out how to use it for neurotoxin and neurogas instead of trying to tell anybody about it. So it's very concerning to me that we're, we're, we're in this situation now where um, it, it's an attack on the population and, and very much meets end times uh, uh, criteria for what I, I do my research on. Can you explain, can you explain gain of function? Gain of function is where you take a typical virus that is in the wild. And we all know from the time that we have been here on this earth, there's viruses and this bacteria. They all have a reason. I mean, we, the reason we have bacteria is that it takes care of certain functions for the uh, life cycle. I mean, that viruses are needed. Uh, bacteria is needed. It's not like something that is a bad thing. But what happens is when you take it out of the wild, you cannot patent that virus. 
you have to change it in some form or fashion to be able to patent it and to be able to get money from it. Or if you develop a vaccine for it, that you patent the vaccine so that you make money from it. So if something's in the wild that is naturally occurring, no patents can be is- issued for anything like that, whether that be a drug or you know something that's developed from some kind of plant. It has to be changed. There has to be additives and things added to it for someone to be able to, to sell it to people and to patent it. So when the gain-of-function stuff came into being, they were literally taking these viruses and crossing them over from uh, the, the animal population into the human populations to see how we as humans would react to it and then try to figure out if it, for some reason, according to them, if it were to jump species, that they would be ahead of the ball game by having a vaccine already prepared for it. Well, I don't understand how 134 different coronaviruses were put into gain of function and then actual vaccines patented before those uh, particular viruses became problems for humanity. So, yes, there is a game plan behind this. And that gain of function has allowed a lot of things to be done undercover in various labs across the world to uh, to get to the point that we are where we are now. And it's a real concern for mine, but at the same time, it does meet the criteria for end times in which plagues and pestilences and things of that nature will get really bad. One of the things that I know that scripture tells us is that there is actually coming a plague that's going to cause massive boils on people. And that is the final one that will be occurring. So I found it quite interesting when the monkey virus or monkeypox thing came out, that we were looking at something that had postules that were going to be something that would burst and run, much kind of like you think about leprosy and things of that nature. The fact that we are told in scripture it's going to be boils all over people, you know, and that when these boils come up, it's because the people have actually taken the mark of the beast. And then we're told if God does not come back, no flesh would be able to be saved. So it's a very serious thing. And clearly there is uh, a lot of manipulation going on in trying to make this happen uh, extensively to bring about the depopulation of planet Earth. And uh, this is something that's not new. I've been researching this for a very long time. It goes back to the Protocols of Zion. It was clearly written out on the Georgia Guidestones, which were not very far from where I live and actually had been to see them until they were uh, destroyed recently. And, And clearly was written upon those stones about the need to bring human population down to like 500 million people. So if you look at that, that was like if you had 15 people for every 15 people, only one could live out of it in our entire population. Take 15, one lives. Take 15, one. We're talking about massive killing. So, you know, they've been slowly killing people with, you know, genetically modified foods and other types of viruses. I mean, I've been tracking viruses for a very long time. The hot viruses, Ebola, Marburg, all those kinds of things. I've been tracking these things for many years. This is, I mean, 20, probably 22 years or more that I've been watching these kinds of things. So when we started seeing more and more, you know, the fact that the flu was always a different flu and you always had to have a new vaccine. And then you ha- you got into things like uh, 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 swine flu and then you got into things like um, uh 
mosquito-borne viruses like West Nile virus, Zika, we were just consi consistently seeing things that were developing that were a little bit too um, changed up and looked like they were manipulated in a laboratory, especially when somebody comes out and has got an immediate vaccination for someone, I'm like, ooh, somebody's been playing with this or they would not have had accessibility. Because let me just say, the cold, our common cold, is the coronavirus. And clearly for years and years and years, researchers tried to find something to stop the common cold. The problem is, is every time that they tried to do anything or use vaccinations, it killed all of the animals when they tried to use these particular types of vaccines to stop coronavirus spread. Every one of the animals died. So you're kind of like, Okay, if that's the case, and then you start giving people vaccinations that have not been tried on animals, well, then that makes me go like, okay, we already know coronaviruses that we've tried to develop these uh, vaccinations with did not, did not produce good results. In fact, all the animals, when they were re-subjected uh, to additional viruses, and sometimes the same virus, they had developed such antibodies that their body turned on itself. And we see this kind of thing happening with other types of um, diseases that we have where the immune system and the immune system function has been escalating itself, like rheumatoid arthritis and things, fibromyalgia, some of those kinds of things where lupus and things of that nature, where your body really does start doing something weird with the immune system. So when you see a virus come out and you know that it was gain of function and you see a vaccination that was not, you know, tried and tested on animals, clearly you go back and look at what, what, what anybody that's smart goes back and says, well, what happened before this and this and this and this to get us to the point we are now? And clearly they did not want to put it in the animal population because if you had seen that vaccination on 20 birds and it's no time, those 20, because you know, we're talking about small animals, so it will kill them quicker than most times it will kill us. Uh, and so if you had seen 20 birds die and they said, hey, this is the shot we want you to go get and all 20 birds die, would you go out and do that? I mean, really, would you not stop and think? Uh, and if it was 100 birds, would you would you really even be more like have to do it? So they were very clever in making it mass panic. And that's what I said would happen in my books. Uh back Antichrist, the clone into Jesus Christ, my Beguile series, volume one and two, and my Eden series, volume one, uh, uh, Beguile series one, two, and three, and my, and my um, Eden series, which was uh, just volume one and two. But I was clearly trying to tell people for a long time, they will do something. They will create a crisis that presents itself as, as maybe a, a threat to humanity, which we clearly saw that happen. And I was telling this back in the 1980s. So many people say, how did you prophetically know this? I don't consider myself to be a prophet. I'm a good researcher. And I've searched the scriptures to know exactly what's going to happen and found the things in science that clearly prove this to be true. But that was the thing that the crisis would be you know, created and there would be mass panic. And then you get like a pack of dogs or you get people in um, a mob mentality and you get people saying, we need to do this, you do this. Nobody questions the science. They run out, they get this. And, you know, clearly from what you're saying, if people have seen that particular um, documentary, you know, I, I just feel like that your undertakers, they got to be careful. They're all licensed, but they are clearly seeing 
very strange things in people's blood and that young people and people who are perfectly healthy. I mean, I hear it all the time. People always call to let me know. Did you know that this young person over here that they just died? They died of a heart attack. They were running every day. I heard the other day about an attorney that was in great shape, uh, had just finished marathons and just fell over dead, completely, perfectly healthy. But they were all involved with the vaccination programs. And I've seen people who their blood work is not right. Cancer is off the top of the list. Myocardius is just out the yin-yang. I mean, it's just more and more and more and more people that I'm coming in contact with who know people who had um, uh, these vaccines. And now their immune systems are just not fighting off small things. I mean, people are getting very sick with simple things like yeast infections and kidney infections, bladder infections, uh, respiratory infections. It seems like that it, people are being inundated by it. And what it looks to me like is if we go back and we look at uh, the AIDS epidemic, what happens is it attacks the immune system. And so usually an AIDS person dies from something other than AIDS, like pneumonia and those kinds of things. And so this clearly is telling me that the people who maybe got COVID or the ones especially who had the vaccines are literally having difficulty in their bodies. And yes, um, unfortunately appears to me from, from everything I'm seeing is that a lot of undertakers are now finding things that are very strange in people's blood that do not add up. And they're going to be ostracized no different than the physicians were if they come forward because they have to be licensed. And, you know, when you're professional and you've worked all your life to get to this level and you've got, this is your livelihood and that's the only way for you to make a living, then you're going to be very cautious about getting in the middle of this. Now, you know, that's one thing that I think God has blessed me with. I can talk about anything and I don't have to answer to anyone in regard to the truth. But if I was, let's just say I was a, a, a president of a college or if I was a professor at a college or I was a medical doctor and, you know, you were in a hospital, you had your, you know, private practice or whatever. If they can get to you and get rid of something that takes away your livelihood, then you're going to be less likely to take the stand against, you know, what's going on. Most people today, unfortunately, have the cane mindset. You know, am I my brother's keeper? I don't think so. I don't want to be. Uh, I'm going to do me, 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 and I'm going to be selfish. Well, that's your problem. Your family, you know, your loved one died. That's not my issue. Uh, if it's not me, I'm not going to be concerned. There's where the selfishness, the cane mentality that we are told at the end of days would bring about the man of lawlessness. And we're clearly seeing that happen right now. Yeah. So when you talked about pestilence, I want to make a statement and then ask a question. One thing that popped up in my mind was that Bill Gates is fast becoming the largest farmer, landowner and farmer in the world. And two, when I think about depopulation, the way to make that happen, obviously, is to kill off billions of people. I think about human sacrifice and the power that that generates for the demonic realm. Can you speak to that? 
Well, you know, you're, you're correct. I mean, I was doing research on Bill Gates a very long time ago. And clearly his mindset has always been for depopulation, to worship Mother Earth, to put the Earth back in balance. And that would mean getting rid of people, getting rid of animals. And clearly we've been seeing how animal populations have been just escalating as far as deaths are concerned. I, I was tracking those, you know, 10 years ago, already seeing how bad that they were getting across the world. And so, and looking at that and knowing that just like, for example, all the cows that are now uh, dead, the, the numbers that died in the Midwest, the fact that we're running out of water, there's not enough potable water. I mean, all this is leading up to the fact that Bill Gates and those guys know the end of days is here, and they, they are from a, a satanic lineage uh, that has been here with us from the get-go, and they know that for Earth to sustain any chance of sustaining, that you've got to get rid of people and animals because there's not going to be enough water to go around. So, uh, you know, getting rid of the animals and trying to say that because cows pass gas that they need to be, you know, gotten rid of. I mean, there's a lot of countries that's limiting their farmers to only having a certain number of cows. So Bill Gates, it's like, these are the people who create the crises and then they have the answer to it. Bill Gates, with all of his money, is buying up huge amounts of farmland. And I was just really amazed the other day that someone told me that he had bought some farmland in another county near where I live. And so I was very amazed by that. Uh, and then, of course, to know what his intentions are is clearly very simple. If you do a lot of Google research on him, he is wanting to build facilities that will be able to culture meat. In other words, clone meat using stem cells so that you don't have to have a lot of animals you just use the cells and continue to grow them in petri dishes and absolutely feed them certain proteins to make them grow. Well, anybody that knows anything about this cloning, you know, and doing this kind of thing, we've been, unfortunately, cloned meat has already been in our uh, grocery stores and things without people being really sometimes very aware of it. Uh, now, with him buying up the farmland that he's doing, he's going to keep people from having the ability to go back and say, I want to have my own cows. I want to have this because the, the less we have available to us and he owns the farmland and he owns the water and he owns the areas of the grasslands and things of that nature. You have now limited the number of things that can be grown in any of those uh, big farm areas that he has purchased, along with some of the other major corporations that are in involved in the United Nations uh, 2030 sustainability goals and objectives that are being pushed and promoted for uh, the consumption of the American people and the people of the world to have to digest and actually agree to without us being able to say, stop, we don't want to do that. Unfortunately, we are in that process now and we are headed to this final result of people like him owning all this and then building these facilities to grow cultured meat. And the reason he's buying it at all in these places is because you will not be able to travel very far to get your food. So he's like McDonald's. He's setting up at all the places so he can sell you his cultured meat. And on top of that, they're growing worms 
and crickets and grasshoppers and things of that nature as well, because even Klaus Schwab, who is very much involved with Gates and some of the other people, uh, George Soros and some of the bigger people that are kind of running the world uh, toward where we're headed, they believe that we can uh, sustain life on the proteins and things like earthworms and worms and, uh, you know, grasshoppers and uh and trees and things of that nature. And so they're going to be growing those kinds of things for you to use as snack food. So yes, it is a, a very, very serious thing. And they know that we are in the end of days. It's no different than when they built the uh, Arctic vault and started putting all the seeds in that vault up there where you and I can't get to them. They know that there is a terrible thing that's going to happen to earth. And they know because they're serpents and we're supposed to be as wise as they are. If we read scripture, we know that's coming. We know that there is a huge, huge asteroid that's going to literally hit, you know, the world and hit earth and, and literally destroy a third of everything. So they have tried to dig, you know, in ground, underground kinds of tunnels and everything. That, in fact, that's why they have uh, blockchain and Bitcoin stuff underground. Um, you know, it's not where it can be seized or get to. Everything that they're working on is where you and I cannot get our hands on it unless we have a mark of the beast. And we clearly will not be able to buy, sell, or trade. So they get to the point that we can't grow our own food. We can't uh, grow our own animals. We're limited to what we can do. And with the population as it is, all we have to do is just give one of the viruses. I mean, we saw a billion turkeys uh, right here a couple of months ago that died. And that was one of the reasons that at Thanksgiving, people had to pay $40, $50 for a turkey. In some places, they didn't even have accessibility to turkeys or to chickens. So Avian flu is an easy thing to give to a large population. And so food, if it were to get less and less, and we're going to see that crunch. I mean, look at what the cost of steak has gone to. I mean, if you go out to have a good cut of steak, I mean, $10, $10 when I was growing up was a mighty big piece of steak. And now, you know, you may pay $25, $30, $40 for a good piece of steak. So we're seeing those things get less and less and less. And then it's, it's an evil agenda. It's just like you said, it's toward controlling uh, the world's populations. Right now, we've got countries who typically had large, you know, uh, fields of grains like wheat, that kind of thing, that were helping feed the bread baskets. They were the bread baskets of the world. And now they don't even have enough to export and here we are needing things to import. We can't get imports and we're saving stuff and not exporting. So the world is going to get even more and more filled with famine. And unfortunately, your um, your countries who are not very wealthy and who won't answer to the big process of going under, let's say, central banks and things of that nature, they're going to suffer quickly because they're going to get their hands uh, the, the movers and the shakers are going to get their hands on whatever they can because of land and because of water. And again, potable water is getting down to the, the point that our aquifers are not rebuilding themselves. 
And uh, clearly out in the Southwest, where you've got Lake Mead and Lake Powell going down to no water and the threat of 40 million people from California all the way to the Mississippi River not being able to get to water. So where are those people going to be displaced to? I mean, there is just coming a situation that is absolutely beyond comprehension. And so these guys like um, Klaus Schwab and, and Bill Gates and that kind of people, they are preparing because they're going to be the ones controlling everything and you will not be able to get your hands on anything. It's, it's very, very scary. Uh, they don't want you to be able to, let's say, I'll give you a chicken for a hog or I'll give, you know, let back when people used to barter for things, I'll give you eggs if you'll give me milk. They do not want you to have any accessibility to anything, including your drugs. And that's the thing that people who take a lot of medications, when this all switches over and they tell you that for you to be able to get your medications or your money or uh, anything that you've got to have, uh, it will be that you're going to have to choose between the mark of the beast or probably having your head cut off on Main Street or either them just killing you because there's not going to be enough to go around. And so if you don't go along with the political correctness that they're going to instill in this world, then you you are uh, going against the grain. You're not politically correct. Therefore, you're expendable. What do you think the mark of the beast is going to look like? And if you had to guess, what does the what's the time frame look like on some of the worst of these things? Well, right now I'm writing a, a new book about this. And um, clearly, the scripture tells us that is your choice. So where people were very worried about somebody holding them down and putting a mark on them uh, or holding them down and giving them a vaccination and things of that nature. It, it will not be that way. It will be your choice. And, and Satan knows it has to be your choice. It's, we go back and we look at the, the story of Job in scripture where Satan went to God and said, you know, you know, God, uh, God, you've done really good to Job. You blessed him really good. But the moment you quit blessing him, he is going to curse you and die. And of course, God told uh, Satan, well, you know, I don't really believe that. But if you think you want to do figure that out and see if you'll do that, then that's, you know, I'm going to let you do it. But the one thing you cannot do, you cannot take his life. The same thing with the mark of the beast. The promise to us is that scripture tells us that if you refuse the mark of the beast, that you will live in paradise. But if you take the mark of the beast, you're choosing Satan's way. And therefore, you're going to sever your connection to God for all eternity. So it's one of those things that Satan can bring it to the table, but it becomes something that you must choose to take. It cannot be put on you or whatever. And from the research that I am doing right now, it involves harmonic resonance and connection to the DNA in the body and the Neuralink capability to satellites to be able to track and control. It is a form of transhumanism that you're going to be offered to give you eternal life. And you will be able to buy, sell, and trade, and you'll be able to carry on and get your medications and get your Medicaid and Medicare checks and all the stuff that goes along with, with uh, Social Security and disability and all those kinds of things. Your companies will be able to you know, have uh, ISO capabilities to uh, trade worldwide. If you don't do it, if you choose not to do it, 
then they're probably going to cut your head off uh, because you are refusing to be politically correct. So what happens is it's your choice, but it's your choice to live as a transhuman or die. And so that's going to be difficult. Most people have never been faced with a firing squad at their head because it's going to be one of those things where uh, crisis will happen. Uh, people will be made to, you know, get in line. Crisis is a situation where you can't get food, you can't get water, you can't get anything. And so now we have got you right where we want you. So you're you're first in line. And when you come up, they're going to say, you know, uh, Chris Atori, we've got this opportunity to uh, let you live forever in a transhuman state. And all it's going to require is us connecting to your DNA through harmonic resonance. And we're going to connect you to Neuralink and you'll be tracked by satellites and your mind will be utilized as a collective universal consciousness in which everybody will hear what everybody kind of is knowing to do, like a bunch of worker bees in a uh, beehive. And if you say, well, no, 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 I, I, I don't want to do that. And then they're going to say, well, then step over here because either we're going to shoot you or we're going to cut your head off. And we do know that there's guillotines that have been put in uh, a lot of storage with a lot of storage boxes and stuff all around the world uh, for some massive deaths for some reason. And so, you know, what's going to happen when you do that You've got to have enough faith to believe in my research. And that's why I'm writing this book is to show you that if your head is cut off, you do not die. I'm trying to show you that the moment your body stops working, the moment it does, you step right out. You can see yourself. You are a spiritual body that looks identical to your physical body. And your mind is not housed in your brain. It is separate entity that goes with you into your spiritual body. And all the research that I have done on near-death experiences literally proves that along with some science now, where they have been tracking when people die and are dead for like EKGs, their EEGs are still functioning. So this lines up with when people say at death, they're in a car accident, automatically they're outside their body, they're looking at the scene, they know what's being said, they know who's there, they know what's happening to him, and they realize that their body that they're in is identical to the one that's laying down there, but they have no pain. And yet, they have their mind with them. Your mind does not stay in the body. Nowhere in scripture does it tell us that our physical body is really dead, dead. It tells you it's asleep. It's put in the grave to be it's asleep. You're going to come back for it. Clearly, Jesus, when he resurrected, took his body with him. It was changed in the twinkling of an eye into a resurrected state. We can raise people from the dead like he did Lazarus and then they die again. But if you're resurrected, your spiritual body, your physical body and your soul become in a, in a transfiguration type of thing in which you are changed forever into an immortal state that houses you in a physical, spiritual and a, and a spirit body with a soul, just like you look now, except it's immortal. So the, the, if you get that understanding, that when you choose to get your head caught, cut off at the guillotine, if I can prove enough of what I'm going to prove 
for you to make that choice if you are in that situation that you won't take that mark of the beast. Because the moment you take the mark of the beast, I'm going to show that you're severed and you're severed from your connection from God and your DNA is forever changed. And no more are you able to manufacture a a, a body that is going to be um, purified and, and sent into the heavenly realms. It, it will never happen. And that's why scripture warns you, do not take it. And if you do, that is your sentence into hell. I mean, it's a quick sentence the moment. In other words, you might think you're living and that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants you to think that he's going to give you eternal life, just like he promised Adam and Eve. You know, you want to be like God? Let me show you. Did God really say this? He just doesn't want you to know this because your eyes will be open and then you'll know good and evil and you'll be like God. So when Satan is offering you transhumanism, when he's offering you the chance for this mark of the beast, he is trying to make you believe you can live forever in this physical, mortal state. It's not possible. So if you take the mark of the beast, you may think you're alive and you may continue to be with your family and friends that you think you can't leave. But you at that moment are dead dead forever to ever having a life in paradise with your creator. So it's kind of like, it's not as bad as it seems. The choice will be you will die doing what the mark says, or you will appear to die by taking the out and saying, no, I'm not taking the mark of the beast. And you will step immediately, immediately into paradise, immediately. So you are alive forevermore. And when the catching away happens, which is called the rapture in many cases, because the rapture, the word rapture doesn't appear in scripture, but it's called the catching away. But your body, your spiritual body with your soul will be re reunited with your physical body. One day it, when Jesus comes back at the second coming and when all this is done, you are in that immortal state when you come back with him, just like he was resurrected when this catching away happens. In other words, the catching away happens with the bride of Christ and you are changed in an instant. And all the people who have died prior to this will come back right before that happens. And they, yes, how you will see bodies outside of graves, gone, that kind of thing. People will be just disappearing. Yes. That is a very real event that will happen. And those people go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. And then anybody that's left will be subjected to this mark of the beast. And then there'll be 144,000 that are from the 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Jacob that are actually sealed in the forehead. And that's why my book involves the pineal gland, because it has a lot to do with pineal gland vibration and, and, and the stronghold of that on uh, humanity. Uh, they are sealed so that the two witnesses, when they come, will reveal to these people who have typically been practicing Mosaic law and Judaism and have been waiting for the Messiah and had not realized that he's already come, they will be able to stand in that day and not be severed with the mark of the beast. And they will, when they die, 
have to really witness in the two witnesses that come to tell them that Jesus Christ has already been. And so they will be martyred. But again, they go immediately into heaven where the the brides the bridegroom is going on at that particular time. So we, uh, I mean, the bride and bride and bridegroom are having the marriage supper of the lamb. So when all that is said and done, then the second coming happens. And when everybody comes back with uh, God at that particular time or Jesus, then we're coming back into a very bad situation here on earth. Uh, everybody that goes through that into the thousand year reign of Christ and then up to the great white throne of judgment, when that happens, what people don't realize in the book of Revelation, every, every person that has ever been born, every person that's been in hell since way back in the garden forward will be raised up into a resurrected body to stand before the great white throne. So when people think that they could burn up in hell, if they think that it lights out when they die, no, your body is going to be raised. The physical body will be raised up and resurrected into a resurrected body of your mind, which is your soul and your spirit body, and your physical body to stand trial before God. And when he sentences you, because you don't have the blood of Christ covering you, he's, you know, he's our lawyer. He's the person that saves us. If you have not chosen that route to go, then your eternity is going to be back into hellfire where you've already spent it in your spiritual body with your mind down there, but your whole body. In other words, it's like the burning bush of Moses. It was burning, but it was not consumed. So in a resurrected state, you will be tortured forever in hell. Forever. There's no, there's no getting out of it. There's no light of Christ. There's no saving grace. There is no uh, savior to come to get you out of there. There's no blood at that point will cover you because you have rejected it totally. And so when that happens, you will live in an eternity in a resurrected body for all over. I mean, never ending, never ending torment. And where people say that they think that they'll be down there partying with their friends, you will hate everybody there because in being there with them and you participated with them, you will hate them as much as they hate you. And those demonic beings will be feasting on you and you will be burning forever and ever where the people who chose Jesus are in paradise with their family, loved ones for eternity in the most blissful uh, living conditions that you could even imagine. Mansions that are beyond words. I mean, there, there is literally proof in um, the near-death experiences of people who have visited into the hell realms versus the people who have visited into the heavenly realms. And having done this research and really know this all to be very true, I can tell you that it's going to happen just like scripture says. Scripture has been 100% correct all the way from the garden to right now. There is no way that I'm going to believe that anything that we've been told is not going to happen just the way it's going to happen. And that's what my work proves. So there are people that believe that there's going to be what they call the, an alien deception. And I don't know if you're familiar with like Timothy Alberino's work, but so, and he's not the only one that, that kind of posits this, but that there's going to, the alien deception in a nutshell, as far as I understand it is 
these aliens are going to come down. They're going to save or be perceived to have saved humanity from some sort of catastrophe and that they will set themselves up as, as being our saviors in that. And that they will basically say, we seeded the planet where, you know, where your, your, your relatives or your forebears or, or what, what have you there. And that they will be almost like they'll look like us. They'll be superhuman basically. And that they will offer, I know Timothy Alberino says this, they will offer like a DNA upgrade, which you, you kind of alluded to that. And that that DNA upgrade is what will be the mark of the beast. And that again, it's by your choice. Do you think that there's going to be a lot of deception involved in people taking it or not like thinking that it's okay to, or will it be clearly understood that they are making a choice to reject Christ? Because there's also people that talk about how when they come down that they will basically explain that Jesus is like them, an alien from another planet, and that he is the source of all of the evil that has happened for the last 2,000 years because he's been reigning over the earth for the last 2,000 years. So everything that's bad that has happened, they will blame on Jesus. And then there's an aspect where people will abandon their faith because they don't want to be connected to this evil person, you know, Jesus supposedly that they've been worshiping. Does that make sense? Is, is there an aspect of alien deception that's going to happen with that? Well, you know, I, I've been writing about uh, that particular topic, uh, the UFOs and aliens for quite some time. Um, all my books go into detail about it. And uh, clearly uh, brought this out very early back in 1999 about the use of the UFO phenomena that would be used to um, bring about a change of humanity, uh, that the Antichrist would use it to his advantage. And um, clearly, you know, I have documented cases with my work with MUFON of clear uh, scientific evaluations of some of the craft that I've actually seen with my own eyes. And so it is um, It is definitely a real phenomena. And um, back when I first started working on all this, you know, it was considered conspiracy and people that talked about it were like lunatics or whatever. But because, you know, when you see and believe something, seeing is believing something. I mean, we see something and you know it's not clearly correct. And I was fortunate to be able to see the things that I've been able to see. And so I, uh, at an early age, saw my first UFO when I was eight years of age. So I've always known these things are kind of, unusual, strange, and and here for a reason. And of course, now we have, um, you know, the Pentagon and um, and we have the Congress and Senate hearing from the uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Group. They call it UAPs now instead of UFOs. And um, the phenomena is quite, quite real. And if you, if anybody is wants to know more about it, they can, of course, look at some of the footage that was done right before our Congress in which our defense, uh, top defense, naval intelligence and people of that nature actually were there to, to show uh, clearly that there is something in our skies. And I think the most interesting fact is, is that they did not deny it. They literally said that this phenomena is getting greater, more intensity. We're seeing these things every day, 
more of them. We cannot identify them and that our uh, allies do not possess this technology and that we don't believe our adversaries do as well. But the problem is, instead of it going away, it's getting worse. And so uh, I found it very interesting that um, NASA actually hired a priest back in December of 2021 uh, who had been indoctrinated in their plan for this um, to prepare really the religions to accept the aliens when they come as our dear space brothers and um, and to rewrite the book of Genesis. So this is this is the plan. And uh, they're not from the Pleiades and they're not from any other realm. They are literally the fallen angels that were cast out there in heaven with Lucifer to this earth. They've been with us the whole time. Uh, their involvement with man and having sexual relationships with the daughters of men produced giants that when they died, their souls were not something that God created. Therefore, it did not go back into the uh, spiritual realm of what we know spiritual realm being that we would either go to heaven or hell. They have walked this planet. And when Jesus was here, he encountered them inside of people. It is true that demonic possession is very real. There are terms used for it in the scientific community that are very well hidden to keep people from really realizing how prevalent this these beings are walking around inside, inside of people. They look like us, but they're not of us. We are told that in the parable of the wheat and tares. We are also told that there was two seed lines coming out of the Garden of Eden, one which was cursed and was the serpent's lineage of seed versus the woman and, and Adam's seed. So this has been going on and been playing out. And that's one thing that brought about the flood of Noah is that there was such an inundation of these giants with these demonic beings, once they died, they were walking the earth, and there were there was this violence and con, you know consuming of blood and, and destroying really the true lineage of what Jesus was going to have to come from to be able to save everybody, and so Noah's flood is why that was brought about. So when we look at how this has moved through history, you can clearly go back and I show in my research even in the in the pyramid there are pictures of UFOs. I mean, there, there are things that this has been with us the entire time. It's not going to go away. And you can look at the book of Enoch, and it tells you about that. Uh, even some of the Samaritan writings that have been um, translated from cuneiform talk about the Anunnaki, those who came from heaven to earth. That was nothing but fallen angels being thrown out of heaven, just like God says that they did. And they followed Lucifer here and they absolutely learned how to engage with mankind and start all this lust and perversions and sexual addictions and uh, pagan uh, love festivals. I mean, everything was about fertility. Their, their, their gods were fertility gods. So they've been trying to manifest themselves on this earth for a long time. And when I first started doing a little bit of the research on the alien abductions, and especially with women who were literally saying that they, they were impregnated, I mean, this goes back, you can trace it back to the incubus and succubus that were talked about many, many moons ago that would come into bedrooms and naturally have a sexual relationship with people. And, you know, people were considered like they were mentally unstable and that kind of thing. But what happens is that there were cases where women were pregnant. And when they went to their gynecologist, they were pregnant. And then they would say a couple of months later, they were visited again and the baby was taken. 
and then that they might be abducted again another time and actually see that child in some kind of fluid. Now, one of the research things that I was most interested in when I realized that cows can birth children for humans, I found that very interesting in the cattle mutilation thing because most times the sexual organs are removed and the calf is gone, supposedly the calf. I'm not so sure that uh, the cattle mutilations have not been being used to house humans that are growing inside of cows. And um, it's, a, it's a weird thing to think about that that could be happening, but a, a perfect way to grow uh, grow humans and actually go get them and put them in some type of uh, fluid and continue to manifest them in some form or fashion. What you find is that these demons have to live inside of humans. And as long as you have a spirit within you or in a soul, they have to fight against that. That's why people should not be engaging in things like uh, transcendental meditation or yoga, because when you remove the when you bring the serpent up the spine into your holy of holies and you open up your pineal gland, you are allowing these entities to come into your body. And if you do astral travel and you go outside of the body, then the body is left without the spirit and the soul kind of in it at the time. And what happens is all these beings, once they say, see a body that's laying there that doesn't have that in it, they try to get in there. And clearly, Jesus, when he was here and walked the earth, he dealt with them. He called them out of them. They they said, have you come before the time? They knew Jesus. Jesus talked to them. They knew he was the son of God. He knew they were demonic beings. They asked to run into the swine. He allowed them to do that. If we know the story, the swine ended up going into the uh, water and drowning themselves. So these beings have been here are here with us and people are manifesting them right now around us. So the fact that we have UFOs and I'll say UFOs and UAPs, because that's what you're going to start hearing more the UAP because of that is what our governments around the world are going to start calling them because they are coming out of the oceans. Most times they're coming out of the oceans they are flying around in our skies. They can actually break through into the upper realms and come back in. Uh, clearly if you're out on a, a good clear night and you just watch the skies, you're going to see something very unusual and very weird flying around up there that is definitely not uh, military planes. And the other thing is when we have the defense minister uh, uh, of naval intelligence and that kind of thing uh, before our Congress, and they're saying that these things exhibit propulsion that we clearly don't understand. And we know of no country that can fly something around without this particular propulsion like we use with uh, with gas and that kind of thing. So the fact that these things are real, we've, we've got them on tape, people have seen them, it's been, been documented for years and years and years. I mean, go back to Project Blue Book and all the things that were kept with the CIA under wraps that now have come to light. Uh, and then, of course, MUFON, that I'm a member of, has been keeping scientific evaluations of cases for years and years and years. So it's not like there's not something to be concerned about. It's been going on. We have cases where these things have showed up at our military sites, where we have uh, underground missiles for our uh, defense of the United States that are nuclear warheads. And with these things that come up they can shut down those nuclear warhead sites and we can't start them up. And that's what has gotten the military so concerned now is that they're fighting against something that clearly is much more advanced than what we are. And let me say this, 
if it was our adversary, let's just say that China or Russia, Germany, um, even even if Hitler had had that, he would have ruled the world. Hitler would have ruled the world, but he didn't have that technology. And neither does the Russians or the Chinese. If they had it, we would either be speaking Chinese right now or Russian because they would have the capability from what I've seen in these craft and what I've been able to research with other people and see the truth about their capability. Anybody that had that potential capability with everything running out of water and we're not going to have enough food and that kind of thing, you would be zapping everybody so that your country could take over the entire world. Because we're all, we're all going to run out of water. We're going to run out of food. And it's not that far down the pike before that starts happening. So clearly, these things are real. They have been with us all the time. They are fallen angels. They are demonic beings. And on top of all of that, we are looking at that there is a situation where they're going to be used by the Antichrist to prove who he is. Now, when people say they're going to turn against Jesus Christ, they're actually going to prove that Jesus Christ is on the planet with us and we've brought him back from the dead and he's now walking among us. And when he starts bringing fire down from heaven, they're going to acknowledge him because all your major religions know that Jesus really died and, and, and supposedly rose again and that he was born of a virgin. Even your Muslims believe in Mary and they actually worship Mary. The Catholic Church helped start the Muslim religion and that's why the assassins that they created never destroyed any Catholic church. They didn't use the Knights Templar for that doing the evil things. They used the assassins, but the assassins, because they were Muslim, they never did destroy Catholic churches. So they venerate Mary. Um, so bringing all that into being and letting him be the one that stands up and says he's the Messiah and the, and the Catholic Church has the Shroud of Turin with the proof of Jesus's blood. It's been cloned and Ron Wyatt, who did a lot of research in regard to the Ark of the Covenant and supposedly blood that was left on the mercy seat that would show that the chromosome count would be 23 for the female, which would be Mary, and only one for God, that blood is worth more than you can even imagine. Hitler was after it. And of course, we know that Hitler was involved in learning how to teach his people through Mingle and all the scientists that he had under him. They were clearly working on uh, being able to implant a uh, egg inside of a woman and and let it survive. And so when you see that when Mingle went down into South America and he was able to do that because the Vatican allowed him to walk away dressed in priestly garb and go down and never have to suffer for any of the um, terrible things that he did to Christians and pure Hebrews there in Germany. And so uh, when he was able to go into South America and be able to start working with women with the intent of planting eggs inside of them. Once we had the ability to plant an egg, then to clone becomes very simple because all you do is hollow out the egg of all the DNA and you pop a, a cell of any person, whether me or you, and when you electrify it and put it back in a woman in nine months, she will deliver you, not anything connected to her at all. So, uh, you know, clearly this was brought to our attention when Dolly the sheep was cloned. But this same technology 
It's an easy technology that can be done in high school laboratory. But being able to put an egg back in a woman and have it grow like that, not until Mingle got that perfected, could there ever be cloning. But the interesting thing is he figured out how to do twins because the area where he was at was called Twin City. And they have more twins than anybody in the entire world. And they're all blonde hair, blue eyed. I mean, what are the what what are the odds of seeing that kind of technology in an area? So in looking at all of this, if Hitler had had accessibility to be able to rule the world with these craft that were already flying around, and we do know that we do have uh, some of the craft that Hitler tried to, I would say, uh, emulate what he was getting uh, quite obviously uh awareness of, or he would not have been trying to build a craft that was much like the UFOs that we see today. But if he had been successful, we would be speaking German. Yeah. Dr. Joy, Dr. Judd Burton popped in. I know you saw him uh, pop up on on the the Zoom screen there. So I just wanted to take a second to, to introduce the two of you um, Dr. Judd Burton, he's not only a scholar, but he's a gentleman as well. Um, Dr. Judd, this is Dr. Joy. So I just want to let y'all say hi to each other real quick. Hi, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. I had a good friend named Judd. I've always loved that name. It's very nice to meet you. Oh, again, uh, a very interesting discussion tonight. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> I was particularly interested in uh, your description about um, the manifestation of uh, um, aliens and their their connection with the pineal gland. It makes me think a lot about, uh, you know, the big trend right now is for people to go on these shamanistic uh, DMT journeys, uh, but they seem to be accessing, they're all accessing the pineal gland. Yes. Um, uh, and undoubtedly, these people are encountering a lot of the same kinds of entities. Uh, yes, I, the DMT, the studies I've done on DMT, that's one of the things that's most interesting is they see the little three feet high people that look very much mm -hmm. like frogs. And uh, and having studied a lot with what uh, the hallucinogenic drugs will do to you, including LSD, and even uh, I've had cases of people who have used marijuana and have had that same uh, thing happened to them where they actually encountered these same little beings like that. And I do find it interesting because they look like little frog looking like kind of things. And scripture does tell us in the book of Revelation that what comes out of the mouth of the the, the beast and the false prophet and uh, the red dragon are something that looks like frogs. And so I find it interesting that scripture is telling us to be looking for that kind of entity. And it clearly is being seen with the UFO phenomena and uh, and, and with the DMT, the hallucinogenic drugs. And, and like I say, even including cases that I have actually uh, taught with people and, and got their testimonies about it you know, happening with them with uh, just marijuana and mm -hmm. uh, and of course, they were very scared when they came to me. It was not like they wanted to be on CNN and say, oh, by the way, I saw these little gray aliens and they came into my room, this, that and the other. But it was interesting that they all drew the same things. And, and many times I would ask them, do you 
do you know anything about UFOs? And many of them that were using the drugs didn't have an idea. They say, oh, that's some crazy thing that people talk about, but they didn't have any background in it to really know what the the aliens look like or anything of that nature. So I always felt like that I was getting pretty good good data that had not been, let's say, uh, skewed in any way or form or fashion. The, the mm-hmm. other thing is... Um, uh, Barry Dowling, he he really came up with a great concept that in using the name of Jesus, that it would stop the alien abductions. And so I had several cases where where I people were just absolutely frantic. I mean, they they were getting to the point where they were just intoxicating themselves to try to knock themselves out so they didn't try to encounter anything and sleeping in weird locked up vehicles and all kinds of things. So I encouraged them because they were having these manifestations to start claiming the name of Jesus and calling out the name of Jesus like Barry had done in some of his work. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. the cases that I had when that started happening, where they had been having a lot of visitations, it stopped completely. And I had one that told me that the moment that they came into the room, that they claimed that and never had any more from that point on. Now, I did have a a man that I've talked about on some of the Mm -hmm. cases that I've done that he was involved in pornography and was very much involved in that and was having these visitations of these things. And then once he started claiming the name of Jesus, reverently, you can't just spit it out. You've got to believe in the name of Jesus for it to work. But he did. And for months on end, he had no visitations and no problems. And unbeknownst to me, he began to get back involved in um, his love for pornography. And uh, eventually these things were back in his his life, like kind of like what scripture says um, with with if you get rid of it and sweep the house clean. Next time, if you allow them back in, they come seven comes back. In other words, they really inundate the situation well that's what happened to him it was absolutely mm-hmm. an inundation of uh, demonic entities much like you see in demonic possession and when mm-hmm. he called asking please help you know i was like well what in the world did you not you know what what did you do different and finally i think he was scared enough to say you know dr joy i went back to doing this and i said as long as you're doing that you're going to invite the, the enemy knows that you've got an open mind back for the enemy and the only way to stop this is to stop it totally and start doing this thing where you're going to be preaching or saying loudly, you know, in the name of Jesus. So he started doing that and clearly it stopped again. And I have not had any other problems with him since then. Truthfully says he does not look at anything of that nature anymore or partake in it because it scared him to death that he was never going to get away from it the second time because it was much more in, in, involved. He couldn't get away from the pornography. It was just like it was just he was just being eat up by it. And so um, and these entities were just coming, 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 coming and just attacking him. The other thing I tried and asked somebody to do in the cases was to use another name. In other words, to use like Allah to use uh, Krishna, to do other names other than Jesus, and it it did not work. So I I feel like that Barry's work uh, and and then me using that with some of my clientele uh, really did work. And it, com- and it completely stopped the problem, even stopped it in, 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 in mid process where something was happening and it just, it just stopped. Um, and, and the entities, you know, that are demonic, 
um, they are very evil looking. I mean, the, the descriptions of them being this brownish, uh, almost buggish looking kind of thing. I, I, mm-hmm. I can only describe it as much like if you see a cockroach and it's got this jammed up head and it's got the long wings behind it and these tentacle looking things with hands and stuff that will pull on them. So there's different things that, that people are seeing, but uh, as far as the demonic entities, those little three frog looking entities that are talked about in scripture just make you wonder, you know, what, what are the odds that all these people are having the same thing that they're seeing? I mean, you know, and, and many times don't know anything about the UFO phenomena or anything of that nature. And they're just scared to death and they know that they can come to me and pretty much tell me whatever. And I'm not going to say, call up the straight jacket and let's, you know, put you in the baddie wagon and send you off. Um, I'm very much a scientific mind when they come to me to really fill out everything. And I, beg them all the time, please give me every detail because every little piece of the puzzle is important for us in the research to try to figure this out. Jed, um, don't, yes. I feel like you told a story about your little brother having a little frog creature under his bed. Yes. Yeah. My, my brother and I um, are basically best friends. Um, we both studied this since we were very little but he had an experience in the house that we grew up in in which she was uh he must have been maybe three or so uh maybe about two and a half uh but uh uh, he felt something one night kicking underneath of his underneath his bed Mm -hmm. uh and he he looked underneath it and and what he described to the rest of the family was what the the thing he saw was an evil kermit the frog Mm -hmm. that was that was his frame of reference was kermit the frog but his eyes were red and he kept asking this thing what you know why are you why are you being mean to me kermit uh in the innocence of a child uh but uh that uh that's some that, that that's an that's an encounter that that we go back to we, we revisit quite a bit uh or have revisited quite a bit over the years um and when i when i started less so my my historical education and more so my anthropological uh graduate work when i started reading about the accounts of of the use of hallucinogens and what people were encountering uh in 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 a lot of cases uh, there weren't even hallucinogens that were involved they were simply invited into ritual space by whatever uh you know whatever uh, uh ceremony was taking place or whatever rite was being observed uh you know i started reading about the the variety of of these kinds of of manifestations which were which were preternatural they were both physical and spiritual yes and um uh, the the continuity amongst the 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 various uh species of these manifestations is, is something that struck me uh so i'm 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 well aware of not only the the, the frog uh, uh diminutive archetype but uh, other manifestations like werewolves and vampires and ghouls and uh the, a host of things uh, in, in world culture um but uh, this this is inordinately fascinating to me um, on a number of levels. But uh, 
the story that Tori is talking about in a lot of ways kind of set me on the path that I'm on right now. Right. I think that as children, we have seen things and we couldn't describe to our parents, you know, things that we were seeing, but yet we had encountered them. And I will always believe these beings try to come to children to really start a, a lifelong indoctrination program and how right. you things. And truly, you know, we're told in scripture about familiar spirits you know, where they will have people that they think that somebody from the dead that's come back to talk to them. I mean, they can manifest themselves in so many ways. And clearly the the right. fallen angels, they they went upon the daughters of men. So they had the capability. They looked human. And we know in Scripture when even um, the angels went to Lot and his family, they were they looked like men because the men of Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. wanted to have sex with them. And that's why Lot sent his children or his daughters mm-hmm. out there to try to deter the guys from trying to really jump on these angels. So the fact that they mm-hmm. can look human and take on different forms and different personas is very well uh, documented, you know, in, in mm-hmm. Scripture. So, yes, I mean, it, it, it's uh, fascinating when you do this research and you do it from a scientific standpoint and not get caught up in when people try to say, oh, it's conspiracy theory, it's not, no science behind it. There's plenty of uh, historical data that I've brought to the table in all of my research and books that have always made me feel like, you know, when people started saying oh, it's conspiracy or you're loony or whatever, I never allowed it to really affect me because I'm thinking one day you're going to see something and you'll be on the phone to Dr. Joy. And that has happened so many times. That's, that's a question that, you know, I I often get asked is, is beginning with, with the, the research that I I did applying anthropological models to the Nephilim and the tribes of giants is people would always ask about evidence. And I'm like, well, where do you want to start? There are really three major axes of evidence. You, you've got the, the historical record, uh, the, the document evidence, which is, you know, mountainous, as you well know. Yes. Uh, you've got the, the evidence, which is often peripheralized and discounted. Uh, the mythological world tradition, the folkloric, these, these stories represent people's experiences in real space and time. Even if some of them are not true, a substantial portion of them have to be true. Right. Uh, and then the physical evidence, which in in many cases is probably the, the sparsest kind of evidence, but you still have these three represented uh, in, in any kind of research design uh, where you're studying these kinds of topics. And, 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 you know, most of us that are, are responsible with our research, we're, we're actually accounting for this stuff. We're, we're showing our sources. We're showing the documents that we're referring to. We're, uh, you know, both primary and secondary material. Yes. Um, and you know, it's still peripheralized, uh, which is, which should tell a lot of people these days, in particular, when things get called conspiracy theory, it bears a closer note, uh, a closer look uh, at the evidence that that's. <laughs> that a lot of these so-called conspiracy theories are, are based upon. You know, I, 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 I joked with my dad just the other day uh, that, you know, it, what's being called conspiracy theory right now, when, when I was in graduate school, we called that historiography. <laughs> you know, there's do- a document trail to, to, to support a lot of this stuff. So, yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's been, been suppressed. It, That's the main thing. It's been suppressed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, yeah, our our textbooks have been have been whitewashed. I mean, it's no secret that the supernatural has been has been, you know, almost completely peripheralized and sanitized uh, in any consideration of human culture or the human past or actually even from a sociological or psychological perspective, even the human present. Yes. I mean, we can look at what they're doing with uh, gain of function and then trying to keep people suppressed from being able to tell the truth about all of that or taking license, mm -hmm. taking it out of the research or not allowing it to be published online. No different than a lot of the things that's been found archaeologically really all over the world that have been sent to the Smithsonian and to the Vatican Library and to the British Museum. And they're put in areas that you and I cannot even get a pass to go in to look at. So yes, and I, as an archaeologist, I, you know, I, I've done that for 20 years and I find that re reprehensible and offensive as a scholar. Uh, you know, if we're all supposed to be big one academic community, shouldn't we shouldn't we all be sharing that information? That's right. And you know, as well as I do, that it's suppressed. And unless we're of a certain connect connection to the, the top echelon that runs this world, you will not ever get into the British Museum, the Vatican, or into the Smithsonian, to this area, so those documents that are being well kept from us. Uh, you know, I think about, and I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with this too, in looking at um, Egypt. And, you know, there was always this thing that we had uh, the capability with our uh, satellites now to be able to ping and be able to tell that there is a hall of records at the front of the paws of the Sphinx. Yet, uh, there certainly is a chamber there. Yeah. And then when uh, we wanted to go in, then the Egyptian antiquities with Haas and them over there denied anybody's accessibility into there. No different than when uh, we saw the pyramids, the, the shaft and the pyramids were found and they put the little walkie thing up in it and it got mm -hmm. to that copper door or whatever it was. And there was clearly something on the other side of it. And they made the guy bring the little machine back out and then denied any accessibility to what was on the other side. I'm like you. We are all part of humanity looking for the answers to what and why we are here. But yet the science and those kind of things are kept from us. Why? somebody is keeping keeping the truth from people. And you can clearly go back and look at scripture and clearly know that when Moses and them went out to the promised land and he sent out, you know, his uh, people to look and see where the, how they were going to go and whatever. When Joshua and them came back, they said, oh my gosh, these people have huge wall cities and they're big, you know, they're so big that we're like grasshoppers to them. And I'm always like, people stop and think, I, I, I love grasshoppers. I've, Growing up on a farm, we used to play with them, pick them up and, and play with them. And, um, you know, looking at what a grasshopper is to me, how big they were literally saying these people were. It wasn't like they were seven foot tall. They were they were saying we were the size of grasshoppers to these people. And I'm like you, the, the mythological Roman and Greek God thing. Uh, clearly, you can look at the buildings that are still, you know, here, e even over in Egypt, all those big monolithic things that we can't even move with our own uh, equipment now. We can't even construct a, a pyramid as such as, as these pyramids have been produced all over our planet. Um, and so if you look at that, it's like I've always said, looking at Plato, and he wrote and told us that there was a, an island called, I mean, a place called Atlantis and where mm -hmm. it was located at. 
you know, Plato and Socrates and all of those people back in those days were not writing bestsellers. There was no such thing yeah. as a there was, book. There wasn't million. a market for it. Yeah. Right. And so most of your lore was true stories brought down to history. I mean, that's how secret societies brought all of their information forward was in like grail legend, you know, Camelot. They hid holy blood, holy grail kinds of things within the teaching so that those things that weren't written down, but they were not false stories. So nobody was out selling a book by Plato back in the day. He clearly was mm-hmm. writing down history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and well, all of well, that. It, it, was, it was not just any history. It was family history for Plato because it was his ancestor Solon that, right. that passed on the story. That's right. So it was not like, again, that he was going to make a million dollars over uh, selling a bestseller at Books a Million mm-hmm. or, or across the world. His intent was to write down the true history. And, and that's mm-hmm. the way it's really been done since we look back even to the Epic of Gilgamesh that was in the Sumerian text about a giant who clearly was trying to find the divine spark of life so that his body would not die and his soul walk this planet as a demon. That mm-hmm. was not something to just write a story about who wanted to read that that was the intent of showing that those beings existed those giants existed and their bodies were not they were a mixed mingle product between a human and a fallen angel that was not supposed to ever be in existence because it was not good it was not as what god created in the beginning where he said i created this and it was good clearly in that epic it was not good so those beings have been here all the time with us and 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 you know i I really believe that the archaeological records even shows the mixing and if you go and look at over in um the area of babylon and iraq and and iran those particular places over in that when you see some of the carvings of these beings and they look like one side of them looks like they're scaled and reptilian and the other side looks like a human being, but one has a hand and one's got a wing behind him. I clearly think that's what they're saying right there is here. You've got some kind of being inside of something that's looking human. Why else would they have done depictions of two people in the same kind of body? If that was not the case, you know, it was not something to just do for fun. I think I might have lost Todd. I mean, Judd. Oh, Judd. Judd is gone. Dang. Mm, well, that was, a great, that was a great discussion. And I think because of his background in, um, in, in doing archaeology and knowing what the truths are about it, it's like myself. I mean, I know what the truths are in Scripture, and I know what the truths are in science, and everything's lining up to tell us exactly what we are living in today, that is the end of days, and all these things are manifesting all around us. They're very real. This UFO phenomena is very real, but it's going to be used and played by um, by the Antichrist to handle really what happened. You know, I think that they'll use it to handle the catching away. Mm-hmm. What I believe is that when the catching away happens and we go and the graves are broke open, and people cannot be found to explain it will be the the good aliens versus the bad aliens and they took us and they will make it such a grand delusion because now all of a sudden they've got people here going oh yeah we're your space brothers and we've come to save you all now you all got to do what we're going to tell you to do because 
we are the most intelligent. And of course, they will look that intelligent because right now in our skies, they are using technology that far is advanced of anything that we have in our military. And if it was not the case, then then why would uh, the, the the director of intelligence before our Congress tell them that they're being seen all over the planet and that every country is devising their own task force to deal with it. So clearly they're preparing. And when they hired that priest back in December, 2021 for getting people ready to rewrite Genesis, it, the, the jig is about up. They've about got everything in order, how they want to have it set up to make this all look so perfect. But we've got to be wise as those serpents. Right. And that's why I'm doing the research that I'm doing. And that's why you're doing what you're doing is trying to make people realize that these things are going to happen and they're going to be very serious. Right. Do you do you have any particular time frame that you think the like the alien deception is going to start to unfold? Well, clearly it's unfolding now by the numbers that we're having and the fact that we're already in 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 sessions with Congress and that kind of thing to make people even aware all over the world. So so the entire world is, is developing its task force. So that that clearly is being set in place to handle what I do believe will be uh, maybe an exp- explanation as to why the catching away occurs. I mean, you've got to figure Satan's got to think of everything that God's going to be doing and be able to cover it up. And he's doing a really good job at that. It says in scripture that we will not know the day or the hour. So I cannot tell you that next Monday at two o'clock in the afternoon that, you know, the jig is up and that, um, you know, the battle Armageddon is going to start or God's going to come back. I can't tell you that. But yeah, it does tell us in scripture that you'll know the season. And scripture is very clear that it tells us all the signs that will happen and that they will be getting closer together like a woman in travail, like a woman who's pregnant and in nine months she's going to deliver. And as you know, when the woman first gets pregnant, she might throw up a little bit, but then as time goes by, she's going to start having pain. She's going to start swelling or hormones do crazy things. She starts eating. She starts feeling the pain of the kicking and, and the movement of the child and the uncomfortableness. And then it gets great pains of contraction, and then it gets so bad that she can't already stand it, and then the baby's born. Well, we clearly are right now where we're feeling the contractions and the baby's kicking. So if that's the case, the other thing it said, watch for the convergence of all these signs happening at the same time. It's not so much that we've never had earthquakes, and we've never had hurricanes, and we've never had terrible tornadoes, and we've never had, you know, times of famine and drought and, um, and floods or whatever. The problem is what scripture says in the last days, that final generation will see all of these things coming to pass at the same time, and they will be converging and the intensity will be growing. Well, we are definitely there. So clearly we are in a time of tribulation. So I feel like if that's the case, the only thing that we're lacking right now is to have a crisis occur where an antichrist is being prepared to step on the on, on the world scene and our mon- our money is going to be pushed into digital currency and they're already uh, uh, got uh, knowledge today that they're trying the digital dollar that that's being being implemented here and so everything uh as far as uh bitcoin and everything underground it's underground where you can't get to it 
And uh, and once it goes into the centralized banks and we get cryptocurrency, then you will not be able to get to your money. It will cause mass panic. And the best way to fix you is to come on down and get your little um, connection. And we're going to connect you to the Starlink satellites and make you transhuman and live forever. And uh, and you will be able to get your money and you'll be able to get your food and you will be able to get your medicines and everything will be so perfect. But you have to take this to get that. And it's your choice. So, Dr. Joy, you've got me all like pumped up and ready to go get my head chopped off. (laughs) Well, the thing about it is we we have to believe in life after death. And Satan has tried so hard to make people think that everybody's laying out there in those graves. I'm going to tell you, nobody is laying in a grave anywhere. The moment you die to this physical body, when it stops beating, and it's electrical. I'm going to, and I'm explaining all this in my new book. It is electrical. So it's vibrating. And your every one of your cells is a holographic you. So when you come back for it, you'll pick up everything that's yours because it all knows. It's like a tuning fork. It'll all come back together like the dry bones in, in the Old Testament come back together. So when you step outside your body, you clearly are still you. You know who you are. You know you will know your family, your friends, just exactly what scripture says. And so the big thing is Satan has made people believe again, there's no life after death, or you've got to go through uh reincarnation to keep coming back, keep coming back. I mean, clearly that's not the case. It says for you will die one time and then your judgment. So if you're a Christian and you know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his blood is covering you, the moment you quit breathing, you will step right in to your heavenly paradise. I mean, it's not something that's major. It's not something that you're going to have to fight for or, or do. It, it is, is your inheritance that that God created us to have. I mean, he doesn't, he, he never created hell for his children. He created hell for the fallen angels and the demonic beings that were here. But then when they were able to entice humanity and then, you know, God gave us free will. He did not want robots to love him. So we have that choice, you know, whether we follow him or we don't follow him. So if we choose to follow, uh, you know, Satan into hell, he's made a place for that to happen. And clearly the rich man in the story of Lazarus uh, in, in, in the times that Jesus was here, he described it. You know, he said, I mean, if that is the case, and Jesus was talking about it, he was telling us right there that the rich man had died. He was in hell. And so he didn't have his resurrected body at that point in time. So he was in his spiritual body with his mind, knowing who he was, because he said, Father Abraham, he could see Lazarus in, in Abraham's bosom. Please let him dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. So in that spiritual body, with his mind, he was already burning. And he begged Father Abraham to send somebody to his family to warn them. And he said, look, I've already sent the prophets. And if a man dying come back to life, it's not going to change their mind. They have got to choose. It's individual people have to choose. And when you get before Satan and, and, and you see what he's going to do to you, you know, people should be well aware that his intent is to do nothing but to take your soul down there and just torture you forever. He hates humanity. We were created in God's image. 
He hates that because he was not created in God's image. He always wanted to be God. That's why he was thrown out of heaven. He, he got into the Garden of Eden. And of course, God told Adam, stay away from him. Don't look at him. Don't touch him. Don't be involved with him. But he was still wanting to play God. And at the end of days, his intent is to play God. And I fully believe that when Jesus was here, he said, you know, be careful because you're going to hear that Jesus is here and Jesus is there. Well, that's interesting because John the Revelator said that he was going to be in an iconic image. And it's in the Greek and it's iconic image. And so what is an iconic image? It's only mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. He's iconic. The only thing that iconic was back in that day was a picture of Jesus that was in Mount Sinai at the bottom of the, uh, the Sinai mountain there, Mount Sinai. There was a monastery. That's right. And so he was, that was the iconic thing that John the Revelator, I mean, there was nothing else considered an icon. So what was he trying to say? Jesus was going to come in an iconic, I mean, that Antichrist was going to come in an iconic figure. And the other thing is he's going to proclaim himself to be the Messiah. Well, the people who are Jewish are not going to believe that any person claiming to be Messiah is not of Jewish lineage and meets the qualifications of coming from the lineage of King David, because he's got to be able to prove himself as a prophet, priest, and king. So the only person that can really trace their lineages back right now to King David are the British royal family, and they have the lineages tracing it all the way back through King Solomon, all the way back to King David. So uh, you can't fool the 144,000 that are going to be here, and they're clearly going to come out against anybody that would be anything other than Jewish, because the situation is they can't walk into the temple and proclaim themselves to be God because they don't meet the qualifications. Also, the thing about it is, is that when Jesus was here, he talked about the abomination of desolation standing in the most holy place. And he said, you know, that this guy's going to stand in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. But when Jesus was here, what did he call the temple? His body. He told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, look, in three days, I'm going to raise this up. And they were like, oh, no, we took 40 years to build this building. And therefore, we put 40 years to build this building. You can't raise it up in, you know, three days. Well, Jesus was not talking about the building. He was talking about his temple. And what he was telling us is this man is going to walk in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So I don't think it has anything to do with the rebuilding of the temple at all. He's mm. going to get the image of Jesus. The Catholic Church has got the shroud to prove it's him. The image is there. The blood is there. And when he starts calling down fire from heaven and healing people, and he's going to do every bit of that deceptively, because what did Satan always want to be? Jesus. He wants to be God. And so, so you're got the opportunity god's going to give him the opportunity to play this out because this is what's going to send satan forever into the pits of hell are you saying that the the antichrist is going to be a clone of jesus because they have the blood from the shroud that's right and it's divine blood it's the absolute divine blood. Uh, Ron White's work shows that it was divine blood that he found on that mercy seat. And when they reconstituted the Israeli government scientists, reconstituted that blood, and it was alive. And if it was alive, that is the most wealthiest own blood that you will ever have in your hand. And that was one reason why when the Catholic Church 
became the sole owners of the shroud. See, before the Catholic Church had it, uh, King Umberto of Italy owned it. And, and that's when the Sturp Committee, the, um, the Shroud of Turin Research Project Group, went in and did all their investigation. They cut pieces, got, you know, got the blood off of there. They did clone it. They did determine it was from a Jewish man. I mean, they, they had all the stuff off of that shroud, and, it, and they clearly were like, we don't know how that was really done, but they kept some of the cloth, pieces of the cloth and some of the, the research they had done. And then when Umberto passed away, he bequeathed it to the Pope. And that's how the Catholic Church became in possession of it. And then, of course, they house it in a uh, gas-filled, uh, secure, trying to pr- preserve it for all time. And, and they've never said it's not real. In fact, when uh, Pope Francis took over right after he walked into uh, the, uh, being the Pope, he literally said on Easter that year that that shroud was real. And uh, Pope John Paul II said that the reason for his uh, being a Pope and, and fulfilling what he was supposed to fulfill as the Pope was that he oversaw the fissioning. Well, fissioning is the same thing scientifically that we used a long time ago for the term cloning. And so he oversaw that. That was his main goal was to be here for the fissioning. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the only way for you to walk in the temple of God, proclaiming yourself to be God and to have a, you must understand that when an egg and a sperm come together, they form energy that can never be destroyed. And clearly science is showing us now that when that egg and sperm hit each other, there is a huge burst of energy. So there's no such thing as being able to abort a baby because at that moment, that baby is spiritually has a body and a soul and a mind and a physical body right then. No time, no two weeks later, no three weeks later, no one day later. It's right at that moment. And so when cloning someone you have to you have to electrify it you have to electrify the cell to make it start dividing so all you're doing is like if i want to let's say um clone my um trachea and that's been done they take my cells out and they clone my trachea and they they'll put my trachea back in me and i won't have to take any type of medicine for re, you know to reject for rejection problems it's actually my cells that will not make a pro, I'll cause a problem so it's making another body. The problem is when you put sperm and egg together, that energy that God creates is a whole different energy than you giving electricity to uh, a cell and making it divide. So what happens is a cloned individual does not have a spirit body and a soul in it. It is a shell. And that's what the Jewish people talked about, about the golem that walked the, the earth. And one of the one of the things, one of the stories that was made from this was the story of Frankenstein. You know, they had to electrify him to make him live. So all of that in secret societies has always been to try to keep flesh alive. And I mean, the Rosicrucians were very involved in this and, uh, and did keep bodies alive by feeding them and keeping them closed in and keeping the flesh going. And even the first cancer that was taken out of a woman and pieces of it are still alive in a Petri dish because they, they feed them the right proteins. And then you can do different proteins and you can grow ears and noses and eyes and, and whatever you need to. 
So if you look at it, to be able to fix a body for Satan to live in, if he if he was to inhabit, let's say you or I, we have a soul inside of us. We have a spirit inside of us. So, you know, that's why there's such things as exorcisms. Clearly, they can be taken and gotten rid of the evil thing that's inside of you. People don't realize that the exorcist that, you know, was a, a movie made for, you know, people to see was based on a true story. I mean, the exorcisms that are clearly indicated in uh, books that I have read, A Hostage to the Devil is one of them that uh, Malachi Martin wrote, and he was one of the top exorcists for the Vatican. And those th these things are very, very real. They're very real. People, I mean, priests have died trying to exercise them out. I mean, it, it, it's one of those weird kind of things. So it's not something that we can just kind of blow off as not being the real, real thing. But when you think about throwing holy water on somebody that's got a demon in them, they usually will react, you know, that demon's in there and may, and usually will leave because you've got your own spirit and soul that's in there with you. But if you have got an empty shell and Satan can enter into it, he's, he's not going to be worried about you throwing holy water on him because that would be the one thing that I would, you know, if I was left here and I knew that he was the Antichrist and figured it out, the first thing I'd do is throw holy water on him because the intent would be to bring back the original spirit and soul that was inside of that body. But in a clone, there is no original. It is nothing but an outside shell and clearly can be utilized for that being to walk around. And that was what I have often wondered about the alien abduction thing, that these beings that they were, you know, they were demonic and they wanted to live inside of people, but if they could get a shell to live in, then they they were never going to be involved in an exorcism where your, your, your real true self wanted to come back and, and you want to maintain your body and you don't want something else in there controlling you. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think, why would Jesus tell everybody, be careful? They're going to say there's a Jesus over here and Jesus over there. And the Shroud of Turin shows you what he looks like. And then the fact that all of that's very real. And, you know, when they took the um, the cloth and they cooked pieces off of it, they gave three pieces to three different universities to look at. The problem is, you know, when I saw what they did in 1988, I studied the Shroud for a very long, long time. Back in 1978 is when I first saw the first picture of it that my dad brought home. And I had a good dear friend that just found three copies of Newsweek that had that September 18th, 1978 article that I saw when I was a young girl just getting started in college and said, from my dream at six years old, I've seen this man. So I've always believed without a doubt that that's Jesus on the, on the, on the cloth. And so when they took those uh, pieces off to carbon date, I was like, what are they doing cutting in that area? That's where that was reworked from the fire that the nuns redid it and everything. And sure enough, they came back out and said, oh, yeah, the shroud was the time of the medieval period and probably da Vinci, uh, uh, Michelang Michelangelo or da Vinci or some of those people had painted some of this stuff. And I'm like, that is just not possible. I was just blown away, and then I had been doing research on the shroud a very long time because the 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 shroud on itself had a face napkin, and that face napkin has been in Avita, Spain, since about a 500 A.D. and it's got the exact same uh, type of blood and everything in the same areas of the where the 
uh, crown of thorns were. And clearly the shroud is not a medieval fake. Uh, they knew that they were cutting that wrong. And, and when some of the people that had some of the material from the stirrup committee gave it to some of the uh, people who were involved in the textile industry, they said, yes, that, this is crazy. This pieces of cloth have interwoven into them cotton. And anybody that studies the Jewish religion knows they did not mix anything. God was against mixing. And uh, so if you had a linen cloth, it was totally linen. If you had a wool cloth, it was totally wool. If you had a cotton cloth, it was totally cotton. But no time did they ever mix cotton with their linen. So I knew right then in 1988, there was not time to bring about the Antichrist and it was not time for the shroud to be revealed as real to make people understand that there is only one God and there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ, because if we had proved that back in 1988, then the other religions would have to say, whoa, Jesus is alive. He's really alive. He really resurrected from this cloth. And that changes the whole perspective of all the other religions because all the other religion guys are dead. Nobody's back. Nobody's real, alive or whatever anymore. Um, so it was not time. And so they skewed the results. And then when the textile industry came out and started saying, oh, this doesn't make sense. You should have known that you shouldn't have cut from that area. And then they came back with little blips like at CNN where they did these little blips real quick. Oh, yeah, by the way, that's where I was, was actually uh, not during that time. And now it is uh, it's, it's actually proving out that it was during the time of Jesus. Because now the research uh, on the shroud, in fact, that relic is the most researched uh, relic in all of human history. And we've got everything from forensics proving that the man was crucified. We've got all the details on the shroud, including uh, the cat and nine tails that pulled the skin off of his back, as it was told about in scripture. The uh, crown of thorns, they were able to get uh, pollen from that area, and they found out that was from the area only in Jerusalem does that particular plant grow that has the thorns. And even from the feet area, they were able to take samples, and that was from an area of what the, the, the limestone and stuff in those areas that they walk on actually had that same stuff in it. And then the most fascinating thing to me was when they used these uh, analyzers that they used to look at topography on other planets that, you know, we can we can shoot it at Mars and we can tell like when there's hills and valleys and things of that nature. What, what is most interesting is the shroud is three-dimensional and that is something that you could not paint. You cannot paint what they did and use the blood of a crucified man because the type of blood that's found on that cloth is from a traumatized man. In other words, your blood levels will be at certain things. It's not fake. It, it's not like painting. It's not like iron. It is really human blood that's on there. And even the pericardial fluid from where Jesus was stabbed uh, in there by, right by his heart from where the swelling was from him trying to breathe and building up the fluid from trying to get his breath. You know, that's how they suffocate on the cross. So when they hit that, all that pericardial fluid is still right there on, on the shroud. And, and so, um, I think the most other fascinating thing that I've seen recently is that, you know, like we take pictures now in real time, let's say of a gymnast doing uh, flips. And in one photograph, we can see the gymnast do the entire flip. The shroud is actually moving. 
it's actually moving like it's coming up and going out through it. So, you know, there's just, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And if people are interested in the shroud, I know uh, Barry Swartz has, has a really good shroud uh, uh, website that people can go to, but the shroud is an amazing thing. And I just fully believe that when John the Revelator told uh, in the book of Revelation that it was going to be an iconic image, that he could have chose three different words in the Greek for image. And he, he chose the word icon. And uh, again, the only icon that I can even imagine that would have looked like Jesus would have been Jesus. And um, and so I feel like raising the temple up and letting him walk in the, in the, in the temple of God gives Satan his little chance to, to ride around and play God. And that's what he was trying to do in the garden. And that's what he was trying to do in heaven when God put him out of there. <laughs> like this is just like a huge knowledge bomb and I just want to like soak it all in for the next week or so. <laughs> I've tried to talk about a lot of things in a very I loved quick, it. Quick, quick little segment of, of uh, hours here. But the thing about it is I am be willing to come back and uh, continue to discuss more because You've got to remember, I mean, I, I've been studying this a very, 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 very long time. And so the pieces are very easy for me to see. But the, the concern that I have is that we are living at the end of days and the convergence of signs truly show us that we are very close to having to receive a mark of the beast or deny it. And I think that um, that the work that I'm doing right now on the mark of the beast will hopefully give people a better indication as to what choices you have and why you have them. So that if you do have to walk away while parents and children are screaming, don't do that, that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody can save you except you. So you can't stand before God and say, I blame so-and-so because you can never blame anybody but yourself. So your greatest asset is your soul. It lives forever. So you want to choose wisely. And I hope that my research will help me make that good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Joy, can I share a scripture that came to mind when you were talking about um, like what happens when we die or, sure. yeah. Um, I don't know. It did. I mean, I was, I was joking with Chris about, you know, the whole head being chopped off thing, but, but really like what you said does give me a lot of hope that it's, I mean, I know as a believer, it's obviously not the end, you know, but Anyway, your description, I feel like was really encouraging, but, um, second Corinthians five, um, for we know that if the tent that is our heavenly home, oh, sorry, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens for in this tent, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked seems like he's talking about our bodies. I don't know. Um, for a while, we're still in this tent. We groan being burdened, <clears throat> not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's just like what you were saying. It's like the moment 
That's right. That's exactly what that scripture is talking about. And that literally proves to you that when that energy was made, when that sperm and egg came together to create you, Tori, you already had who you were going to look like and who you were going to be right then. God created you. He spoke everything into existence. It's all harmonically connected. We are connected to God. We are in his image. And everybody was created by a loving father. The thing about it is he he loved every one of his children. And I just, my hope is, just like with what you just read, that people will be able to choose wisely. We have a loving father who does not want us to end up in hell. And I am trying so desperately. I mean, that's what my ministry is, is to make sure you make that wise choice because everything is going to look negative, bad, terrible. But that scripture right there tells you that you were created. God knows you by name. He knows the very hairs on your head. He designed you. And when that sperm hit that egg, you were created just as he wanted you to be. My father actually dreamed what I looked like before I was born and was told what my name would be. So I know that there is a reason that God had put that in scripture. And now I am aware that we, we are created by a creator who loves us, who is our father, who, is, who knows us, who calls us by name. And so we're all unique. Sometimes you think, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. In heaven, everything will be perfected, but you will still be you. So don't be just, you know, if you say, well, I've got a little problem with this or I've got a, none of that is going to matter because everything will work perfect. There will be no crying. There will no be a sadness. You know, you will be with people that truly loved God the way you did. You'll be brothers and sisters up there. And uh, the last thing you want to do is lose anybody to go into to the pits of hell. So I think it's our great commission It is as watchmen on the wall for all of us to try to tell our fellow brothers and sisters that there is a God. He loves us. He's got a place for us. Choose him and don't be deceived by Satan, because all that Satan's doing is getting back at God. He wanted to be God. He's getting back at God by trying to take his children I mean, what what of all the things you have in your life, if you're a married couple and you have children, what's the one thing that somebody could take from you that would hurt you the most? Your child. And Satan's trying to take God's children from him. Don't be one of them. Choose, choose the father. Wow. Very well said. And Dr. Joy, we have enjoyed this so much. Well, you and Dr. Judd were, were chatting back and forth. Tori and I were we're texting each other just how much we were enjoying listening to you all um, just discuss all of that stuff. I'll have to go back and listen. I'm going to go back and listen to it again. But yeah, we Tori and I were just kind of geeking out um, in in the background, just really loving, really loving that. And we just we really appreciate you. And we would absolutely love to to have you back on. Again oh, in the I, would future. Love, I would love, I would love to do that so very much. So please keep me in mind. Just let me know when you've got an opening and I will schedule hopefully not be so close to running from church tonight, but that was, you know, they do understand when I say I have to go, you know, it's not something that's, that's kind of bad, but uh, I, I, I love talking about my research and I don't want anybody to end up in hell. 
I mean, if there is any way, if God would just give me this research, I'll talk about it. I will share it. I'll get it out there if, if, if I'm given platforms to talk about it, because we are coming to the days when that choice is going to be a real choice and it's not that far away. Yeah. Real quick, before we before we end, where can people find your research? I know you said you've written a lot of books. Where's the best place to find to find you, get in touch with you, your books, your research? You can go to my website, which is www.drjoy, and it's D-R-J-O-Y-E. It's joy with an E, D-R-J-O-Y-E dot com. And there, all you got to do is click on books, and it'll list all my books. And if you want to buy them directly uh, from uh, the website that's presented there, you can. And if not, they're available on Amazon, other places like that. As well as if you've got any questions and you'd like to submit a question for me from my AMA show that I do every um, month, it's always the last Monday night of every month from 8 to 10 on YouTube. And I answer questions that people send in to me from around the world. And it can be any 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 question. And I try to give you the details of, uh, of the answer, you know, something that will lead you in the right direction and help you find even more information about what you might have a question about. And then um, you can follow me on YouTube at Joy. It's J-O-Y-E, Joy, again, J-O-Y-E, Joy with an E. Last name is Pew, P is in Paul, U-G-H. And if you'll friend me there, then when I'm on radio shows and podcasts and, and things of this nature, then I can let you know and I'll provide the link and then you can listen and follow along and um, and keep up with my work you know, through Facebook. And then if you have questions, you can submit those to me through private message and messenger. And I try to answer as much as I can, but because I stay so busy with the research that I do and, and as active as I am, sometimes they're very short and sweet, but if they're something that I, if you'll let me take it on to the AMA show, then I can spend a little bit more time answering those questions. And we do have a backlog of questions. So we're about two, maybe two months behind on questions. So we're trying, we'll get to them. We'll finally get to the questions, but those are the easiest places to, um, to connect with me. And, um, and I hope that you will, if you have any questions or if you're reading in my work and you've got a question about my work, all you have to do is just message me and, and let me tell you um, more about it or kind of clear up anything if you would not understand or tell you which book would have what things in it, that kind of thing. So again, www.drjoy.com or either joy, J-O-Y-E, P-U-G-H on uh, Facebook. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to, to talking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you too. It's so nice meeting you both. You Goodbye, too. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Judd is, is our, uh, our co-host as well. We kind of, we all kind of bounce around, bounce around on here. Um, Wonderful. And so we, I can, I already know without talking to Tori again about it, we cannot wait to have you back on when Dr. Judd is available as well to just listen to you all um, <laughs> have a like, conversation. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, seriously. We'll just be sitting here with our jaws gaping. Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you when you do a lot of work and when you get as old as I am, I mean <laughs> I have a lot of experience, been around a long time and seen a lot of things and researched a lot of things. So it makes it a little bit different. But thank you for your kindness and your 
desire to want to know about my work. And I look very forward to being your guest again. And as soon as this is available, if you'll let me know and I'll put it on uh, Facebook, encourage my Facebook friends and then send it out to all of my Facebook groups that follow along on my work as well uh, to know about uh, tonight's show and to, and to let them know about your show so they can keep up with you all as well. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.